the trajectory toward equity is necessary. But I think it's really, really important to think about the way in which that technology was embedded in a social and economic context. I think that technologies in general can be either substitutes or complements to what we do. The enabling capacity is extraordinary. We need to realize that there's a social responsibility to value us at the same time. Welcome back to the Plenty Ideas That Matter podcast, an ongoing series of podcasts produced by the Department of Urban Studies and Planning at MIT that explores how the rapidly evolving fields of new technologies and big data are impacting the academic and professional discipline of urban planning. My name is David Lashansky. And I'm Takeo Kuwabara. And in case you're just joining us, you may want to start with our first episode featuring Professor Larry Suskind as we've developed these podcasts almost like a running conversation between our interviewees. In this episode, we'll be starting where we left off in our discussion of the introduction of artificial intelligence and robotization in the field of labor markets. We talked with Amy Glassmeyer about what implications could be predicted from the introduction of disruptive technologies, what it would look like to bypass a labor crisis through a new method of valuing human labor, and what all this would mean for urban planners. In this episode, we're sitting down with Professor Jason Jackson, an assistant professor at DUSP, whose work looks closely at time and space and their relationship with market structures. Jason is well-versed in the study of disruptive technologies. His working paper, Taxis versus Uber, Planning versus Markets, or Markets as Planning, examines how the rise of sharing economies are impacting the social and economic context of how we define and plan for an industry. Wait one second. We're using the terms disruptive technologies and technological revolutions, and it occurs to me that many of our listeners may not be aware of how these forces in society play a role in the vocabulary of an urban planner. Jason, could you elaborate? Sure. So uh, one way of thinking about disruptive technologies would be a new technology, a new technique, that when introduced into a particular field, fundamentally changes the way in which the field operates. So the examples come to mind right away, right? So if we're talking about urban planning or even the urban environment more generally, then urban transit, of course, is the first thing that comes to mind. With firms like Uber and Lyft in the US, it's not just an American phenomenon. We have Ola in India, Didi in China, Grab in Southeast Asia, blah, blah in France, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on and on. There are many players, but certainly it has been taken as the probably the prototypical example, at least in urban planning, of the potential impact of a disruptive technology. So, of course, the, the arena that's being disrupted is one particular segment of urban mobility, so typically done by taxis. And the disruption is taking place with the application in a kind of straightforward way of existing technologies, right? So GPS, which is embedded in smartphones, which are increasingly pervasive globally, coupled with a particular, and this I think is crucial, a particular socioeconomic situation where people need additional work. So the fact that we can, you know, geolocate someone um, and they can use an application to signal that they'd like to be picked up and taken to a particular place is, of course, interesting and important, and one doesn't want to downplay the kind of impact, the disruptive impact, to sort of go back to the, the term, and that this has had. 
Um, but I think it's really, really important to think about the way in which that technology was embedded in a social and economic context where there is an available workforce and available physical assets. So drivers to drive the cars, the physical asset being the car itself. This varies a little bit across context. But ultimately, the thing that cuts across and is really the same is a labor market where people need additional work and are willing to take on the particular kind of work that differs from a kind of conventional employer-employee relationship. So Jason's viewing the introduction of this new technology just like drops hitting a still body of water. And what Jason is interested in are the ripples that are created from those drops hitting the water not the drops themselves. So in the U.S., it looks very different from the kind of Fordist era of, you know, you have a full-time job and you have a set of benefits and so forth and so on, this kind of golden age that uh, many people refer to. Wait, that sounds familiar. Didn't Amy talk about a shift in labor markets in our last episode? The ability to automate things which were repetitive heavy, dangerous, dull, and dirty, I think has been a tremendous step forward. At the time that we began to do that, we knew very well what the consequences were going to be from a labor force perspective. In the U.S., we chose to assume that the individual absorbed the responsibility of the transition. And today, that's where we find ourselves. All facets of work are being examined for the potential to increase productivity and reduce costs. And there's a human still in that picture, if for no other reason than to push the button, start the machine. And I think we're going to be in that same environment. But that doesn't mean that that person who pushes the button has to be employed by the person who owns the machine. It is increasingly the case that that even at very high levels, we're seeing significant emergence of contingencies. So if contingent labor, rather than traditional jobs, are increasing, what does that mean and who, or what, is causing it to increase? Again, the thing that I think cuts across a context both in in developing and industrialized countries, uh, in the context of this particular disruptive technology that we've seen in urban transit markets, is the commonality of increasing uh, need for work. You know, people are unemployed or underemployed more often uh, than not, a result of kind of growing uh, inequality globally. So we're seeing shifts in the type of work and who is employed around these disruptive technologies in the urban transit market. It kind of sounds like these may not be the types of trends a lot of people, like our previous guest, hope to see. There's evidence to suggest that, that when we have totally dispersed labor, People are differentially rewarded and feel valued and get a sense of self-satisfaction and self-worth out of their work because they're, they're not being valued. They don't have a mechanism by which that can be easily received. So I think there is potential if we just decide everybody's going to be contingent, everybody's going to be dispersed, that for just purely pragmatically, we're going to find a much higher increase in, in psychological disturbance and anxiety, alienation, and depression. So technology is driving these changes? So if I gave the impression that I thought the disruptive technologies were driving this kind of precarity or, or sort of the growth of casual labor or casual work in, in labor markets, I certainly didn't mean to do so. What I was suggesting is that these technologies have emerged at a time where the condition in labor markets were such that the business model could work. 
So there's a disruptive technology in one end, right, which is the coupling of GPS with the kind of matching technologies that are central to the way that Uber, Lyft, Grab, et cetera, work, which are sort of at core, not entirely, that's super complex. So technological innovation is interesting, but it's not revolutionary. These things are already in place. What I think is really different is the business model that it's been coupled with, and that's really the crucial factor. The fact that these kinds of technologies, so matching coupled with GPS, when brought together, embedded in, a, in an app, deployed by, in most cases, large oligopolistic firms that have benefited from huge amounts of um, investment inflows based on very, one might say, speculative notions about the potential for those firms and the kinds of technologies that they have at hand to make lots of money, even though, as we know, they're not making money right now, at least the biggest firms aren't. That business model is really what has been really new. But what I'm suggesting is that that business model would never work if the labor force were not available. And I don't think that's a minor point. Going back to our analogy about the drop hitting the placid body of water, it's easy to draw a correlation between the ripples and the drop hitting the water. But what Jason is saying is that we need to pay more attention to the factors that are enabling the ripples in the first place. Which, in our metaphor's case, is the fact that the water's still. Right. And in Jason's example, these are the underlying regulatory frameworks, the market demands, and the composition of the workforce. If these transformations had not taken place in the economies of both poor and industrialized countries where there's less security from uh, a stable job in the private sector like you saw in the U.S. or in developing countries, um, support from the state, right, which was significantly cut back through structural adjustment programs as part of the kind of neoliberal revolution. Um, that renders workforces increasingly precarious and available for the kinds of work that this new technology and crucially this disruptive business model has brought to bear. This is the reason why I think much of the story about Uber and Lyft, certainly in the US, but if you think about this globally, is almost always about the question of work and less about you know, sort of details of the technology and how it works, even though that is interesting. Where does urban planning fit into this picture? The idea that these things are just sort of happening you know, through the development of new technologies in a kind of sort of dynamic and unconstrained way is just not really the reality. I mean, ultimately what takes place is going to be determined by the regulatory and, and policy environment. I don't just mean that you know, regulators are going to clamp down and prevent, which is, tends to be the way in which people think about policy and regulation as a constraint, but rather the way in which the policy and regulatory environment is and will continue to shape the particular kinds of outcomes that we see, both in terms of the development of technology, in terms of the way in which these technologies may be embedded in the social systems that we all live in, as well as the kinds of impacts on areas that we may care a lot about, such as urban labor markets. So I think a lot of our attention needs to be paid to ways in which these new organizational forms, these kinds of transformations uh, shape unequal outcomes. I think this is really the, the, the central thing. So, you know, urban mobility markets are interesting to think about because they've been perhaps the most visible, particularly with respect to this idea of disruption. But it's only one of, of many. So I think ways in which other forms of work um, and other arenas of work, uh, you know, manufacturing has seen lots of changes over the course of the last several decades. But we're really seeing this big transformation now in services and service work across a number of domains. We can think about care work. We can think about food services. We can think about 
um, other forms of personal services, right? These are all really being transformed. And I think it's important for us to think about, to get an understanding of the nature of these transformations, get an understanding of the particular people that they affect, and to understand what those effects are, again, particularly from the perspective of unequal outcomes. And the dimensions of those um, kinds of inequality um, remain familiar to us, right? So their race, ethnicity, immigration status, gender, age, ability, right? These are all things I think we need to think very, very carefully about. And if what we're doing is urban planning and urban planning is about interventions, then we need to think about how to act. So the role of an urban planner would be to help shape the policy and regulations surrounding both the introduction of these new technologies and the context that they're being introduced into? So cities are multidimensional, right? So we have to think about the physical element of cities, um, the human, the social, all of these have, I think, equal importance. The physical design of the city didn't just happen, right? So, of course, it was designed by humans, but those humans are also themselves embedded in a particular social and political context, right? So it's shaped by the political and economic structures and forces, I think one could reasonably say, in the city. I think it is the role of the urban planner to be cognizant of the interrelationship between these features of, of cities. And not in an abstract way, but also not just in an analytic way, but in a way that allows them to act on the urban space, which is to say planning is to really suggest an intervention. In some parts of the social sciences, there are urban dimensions that sort of purport to simply analyze urban spaces from afar. Now we can critique to what extent one can really do anything without sort of stepping in. But I think urban planning is always explicitly about how to shape the city or how to shape the urban environment. Most people who go to planning school, these are their quite explicit goals. And so if those are the goals quite explicitly, then I think it's, it completely behooves the urban planner to have a, a strong understanding of these multifaceted dimensions of urban spaces. It behooves us to think creatively and purposefully about alternative futures that have the kinds of features that we as a society, whether it be at a urban scale, at a regional or national scale, globally, that we want. Um, I think that's really very important. We'd like to thank you for listening. And we'd like to thank Jason Jackson for coming in to speak with us, as well as the Department of Urban Studies and Planning. Join us next time as we talk with Albert Size about his perspectives on the labor markets and the introduction of new technologies. <laughs>